Relationships make or break our life. I mean, you can't say it more powerfully. Relationships make or break our lives. It's just the truth. And I'm not just talking about those of us who are married. Obviously, that relationship is a very important part of a life, can make or break our life. But that's not all that relationships are about, marriage. I'm not just talking about those of us who are parents. Obviously, the parent-child relationship makes or breaks our life. That's really, really important. But that's, that's not what I'm referring to either. Uh, you need to know that relationships ultimately sum up all of life. In fact, I, I like to say it this way. Life is a sum of our relationships relationships in every arena of our life, at every age of our life, in every sphere of our life, make or break our lives. It makes a difference in the marketplace. It makes a difference in the community. It makes a difference in every aspect of life. Relationships are everything. I, I can just use my own story as an example of this. My, my earliest memories have everything to do with relationships. I mean, I, I just, the, the first images of memory I have are of the relationships that I was privileged to have. I, one comes to mind, obviously it begins with family, with all of us, and uh, my grandpa comes to mind, this is my mom's dad, and he died when I was only eight years old, he was 60 years old, but he was such a relational guy and such an important figure in my early days. I remember I was spending the night with him one time and hanging out with him, and he, I, this will tell you something about his personality, he, he was helping me to brush my teeth. And we were in there brushing in his bathroom, brushing our teeth, and all of a sudden he took his teeth out and he kept <laughs> brushing them. And, you know, in my little mind, I, he didn't say anything, didn't make a big deal out of it. He just knew this was going to be a moment, you know. And my eyes went, boom. You know, it's like, Grandpa, how do you do that? <laughs> and we spent the rest of the evening with him trying to show me how it takes a special clip to get those things out so you can brush your teeth. And what a, I mean, relationships really are the essence of life. And then from family, of course, it moves on to school. And yeah, I know, school's supposed to be about academics. I know that, you know, the whole reading and arithmetic thing, but uh, you don't learn to read very well if you pronounce mathematics arithmetic. But that's a whole other issue that I have with education. But for me, school was everything to do with relationships. All of my memories of school, every, every aspect of the story of my educational journey is about the people I did life with. And, you know, I walked into school that first time and I met the people who would become a part of, of the story of my life. Relationships really do make or break our lives. My greatest moments in life have everything to do with relationships. In fact, there's no such thing, I don't believe, as a great moment that doesn't include other people. And so all of these, these great moments, I see the faces of the people who shared that memory with me, who helped to make that memory possible, that moment possible. My, my greatest moments in life have everything to do with 
people, but so do my worst moments have everything to do with relationships. Won't get into all the, the junk in my story, but the truth is that even the darkest parts of my story have everything to do with relationships, who I was influencing and who was influencing me in those, those moments. They make, yes, that's positive, and break us. When I, when I really picture my story, my greatest successes have everything to do with relationships. There's no such thing as a true success apart from the relationships we share. We are a product of who we're doing life with. And when I experience success, I owe everything to the relationships I have in those moments. And it just kind of reminds me of, of what we experienced last week here at Northridge with Easter. Easter was a relational story here. And I know some of you are brand new to Northridge and you connected with us the first time Easter last week and I'm so glad you're here, but you need to know that, that all that Easter became was a result of the relationships that we have as a staff and as volunteers, as in a church family and, and how we together are committed to waking the world up to Jesus. I mean, that's how that happened. And I, I think it's worth noting and celebrating we had about 25,000 people here for Easter last weekend, which was phenomenal. <clears throat> and it's not, the, it's not the size and the numbers, it's the fact that we got to share Jesus with that many people because Jesus is the hope of the world. And boy, if we can reach more people, we have more hope. And, but it was, it was a relational experience. When I think of the whole weekend, it, I just see faces and stories. And since then, the same thing. Relationships are everything. But... You need to know my most significant hurts have everything to do with relationships as well. My most painful moments in life have not come in the context of, of isolation and exclusion. It's come in the context of relationships. I mean, that's where we're really, really open to hurt and pain. And it's not just, you know, betrayals and those kind of things. It's also the physical reality that people die. The loss of my dad is probably one of the most profound moments of pain I've ever experienced. And, and obviously that has everything to do with relationships. So I want you to get this. This isn't a marriage series. This isn't a parenting series. This isn't something that isn't for all of us. It's for all of us because uh, relationships are ultimately the sum of our entire lives. It produces what life is about, and it will make or break you. It really will. And so here's, here's what I, I've learned. I've learned that healthy relationships, you know, relationships that are working right, make life very good. I mean, when you've got a relationship that's really healthy, really working the way it's supposed to work, man, it makes life good. And this is exactly what God told us. Look at Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. All the way back in the narrative of creation, God tells us, I've made you to be relational. Life's not good apart from relationships. And he shows us by, by having Adam, Adam who had everything in perfection. He lived in a perfect environment. He was perfectly resourced. He had a perfect relationship with God. And he, at the time, was perfect. He had yet to be stained by the dark choices of, of walking away from God. He was perfect. And yet, what did God say? It's, it's just not good for you to be alone. Life becomes good. We experience it at its best when we have healthy relationships. But the reverse is also true. The opposite is also true. Unhealthy relationships make life 
very, very, very difficult. I mean, that's where destruction happens and darkness happens and tragedy happens. I, I think the, the Bible says this perfectly in Galatians 5 verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Yeah. In fact, when I used to do premarital counseling, this was the verse I started with right there. If you... <laughs> Keep on biting and devouring each other. Watch out. You'll be destroyed by each other. That's where it started, which is why they don't allow me to do premarital counseling anymore. You can, can tell I was a bit jaded. <laughs> so healthy relationships make life very good. Unhealthy relationships make life very, very difficult. And here's the problem that I want you to see. This, this puts teeth in the reason for this series. This puts motivation into the reason why we should be a part of it. The problem is unhealthy relationships are form far more common than healthy relationships. Unhealthy relationships are way more common than healthy relationships. That's not good news. And yet I, I really don't have to tell you this. It's not like I'm reporting facts you don't understand. You're human beings on this journey of life just like me and you know this is a fact and this isn't just a fact of other people it's true for other people too this is the fact of your life as well I mean unhealthy relations are more common especially when you when you start realizing relationships aren't just in the sphere of marriage and parenting and family but all the way around come on most work relationships are unhealthy they're not good they're difficult most community relationships, most friendship, I mean, it goes down the line and seems like the, the more important and the closer the relationship, the more unhealthy they tend to become in common form. And that's really sad because God created relationships not to be destructive, not to be the source of our pain and darkness, but to be the source of our experiencing life as good. That's what he said. And there's a reason that unhealthy relationships are more common than healthy. And the reason is that we have this tendency as human beings to, to hold on to our relational baggage. We, we naturally hold on to it and carry it, relational baggage. You might have guessed we might be talking about baggage because let's see, there's baggage all around me on the platform. And well, the talk's called baggage because this is really what's killing us relationally in every sphere of our lives. We naturally hold on to it. And so I, I just want to kind of put our relational baggage into three major piles. And you can, you know, work through with more specificity if you'd like. But, but the, the first pile, the first area, let's just call it grudges. Grudges. This is relational baggage that we all certainly have the potential to carry and most of us continue to carry it. By grudges, I mean, you know, that resentment and that, that anger and that bitterness that we harbor in our lives towards someone who's caused us pain. In whatever way, they've caused us pain and so we're just, we fill up with the with the, and I think red's appropriate, with the resentment and the anger and the bitterness of that. And when we hold on to grudges, which we do by nature, the poison of that resentment and anger and bitterness 
ultimately fills our life with darkness and that starts defining who we are but just know you can't keep it bottled up. It then begins seeping out of us and it damages all of our relationships. I mean, and it could be a grudge that we have from a relational experience that has nothing to do with the multiple people we're in relationship with now in the workplace or in the community and whatever, but man, we're holding that anger and it's going to filter out of our lives and it's going to destroy and touch negatively all of our relationships. And you know what the result is? Our, when we hold on to the relational baggage of grudges, when we retain all this anger and resentment and bitterness in us, it makes us miserable. Absolutely miserable. And everyone that has to be around us miserable too. And so ultimately it causes us to push people out of our lives. That's the result. There's another kind of relational baggage that all of us are touched by and all of us have. It's a big piece of luggage that most of us carry. And let's just call it grief. Grief. You see, grief is the sorrow and the pain that, that's caused by and then we carry around because of the loss of, of something or someone that we deeply care about in our life. Grief. And I know when we think of grief, we often jump to the loss of a loved one, like I've already mentioned, the loss of my dad, and that's certainly a, a point of grief in my life, but, but it comes from so many other things. We, we, we experience sorrow and pain because of losing not just people we care about, but losing relationships that we've cared about. And, Many of us are carrying around the, the sorrow and the pain and the emotional, relational baggage of grief in today's relationships in whatever sphere we're in from yesterday's relationships. You know, it, it hurt us, it broke us, it, we were betrayed in that, promises weren't kept, or there was pain and this is that. And we carry all that grief with us, you know, today. The same thing is true with opportunities. Some of us have missed major opportunities in our life and we're so filled with grief, that sorrow and pain, that we can't let it go and it's seeping into our relationships. The same with dreams, the same with stages of life. Some of us, as we go through the seasons of life, are so filled with grief over the fact that we no longer are in that stage. Maybe it's the parenting stage, or maybe it's the first night of marriage stage, the only one that some people ever really enjoyed in marriage. And the, the I'm a pastor, but I am a human being. So here's the thing. We, 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 we carry the, the stages of life grief. My dad, when he turned uh, 50, he was angry at the world. It was really weird. He told, don't make me a cake, don't do this. And so what did we do? We did what families are supposed to do. We pushed his face right into a cake that said 50, spelled out five, oh. He wasn't happy and it, it, there was grief involved in that and some of us carry that. So grief is the sorrow and the pain that we carry. And it, it really results in negative stuff relationally. When we hold on to it, we withdraw from others and it causes us to, to push others away because all we do is spill out pain and loss and all that. It makes us miserable and those around us miserable and it hurts our relationships. There's another form of guilt and it's actually tied to both of the other areas. 
And let's call this area of, of relational baggage guilt. Guilt. Much of our, many of our grudges and much of our grief ultimately is empowered by and fueled by the guilt we have. Guilt is resentment and anger and bitterness that, that we have in our lives, but it's not toward others, it's toward ourselves. I mean, we're just angry and ashamed of and mad at ourselves and bitter towards ourselves about our own failures and our own mess-ups and how we failed to seize that opportunity and how we've messed this thing up. And grudges, grudges, their resentment and anger and bitterness turned outward, but guilt is turned inward. And it's so destructive because when we hold on to guilt, what happens is it causes us to feel unworthy of true love and unworthy of joy. And so the result is we, we push people away. We push people away for two reasons when we're filled with guilt, carrying the relational baggage of guilt. The first is, you know, to, to have a relationship with anyone on any level demands that we open our chest, that, that we open ourselves as we really are to another person. But guilt keeps us from doing that. We don't want them to know who we are because we don't think they'll like us for who we are. We don't even like ourselves. We're angry at ourselves because of this guilt. We're ashamed. And so we keep our self, true self, hidden. And, and so we really never have this relationship. They have a relationship with an image we've created, a perception we've created, but not with us. And so we're all alone and that makes us miserable. And it's, it's just a horrible thing. There's a second reason guilt causes us to mess up relationships. It's a horrible relational baggage because... We don't feel worthy of love and we don't feel worthy of joy. So the minute it starts happening in our life, we do something to blow it up. It's called self-sabotage. And we destroy it away and push it away because we don't deserve it. And we beat ourselves up over this thing. And I'm going to tell you, this relational baggage is killing us. It's unhealthy relationships are more common than healthy because we're carrying the baggage of grudges and grief and guilt. So here's the truth as we kind of introduce this series, Relationship Stuff, that's relevant to all of us. If, if we're going to experience the best of life, then we have to deal with the baggage. In fact, here's the truth. Healthy relationships require positively dealing with our baggage. If we're going to have healthy relationships and experience life as good as God intends and designed for us, then, then we have to positively deal with our baggage. We can't keep carrying it around. In fact, in the context of talking about relationships, look what the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. This is great advice. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil, the evil one, darkness, that foothold, that control over your life. Don't, don't let it in. So what's that saying? It's in the context of relationship. Look at, don't let the resentment and anger and bitterness stay in you, stay alive and real. While the, sun's, while the sun goes down, you've got to deal with it or else you're letting evil take over in your life. So healthy relationships require positively dealing with your baggage. You gotta deal with it. And you gotta deal with it positively because you know how we normally deal with it, right? You do, I know you do, because you do it, I do it. We ignore it, we deny it, we run from it, 
We try to cover it up. This is what some of our pursuits of pleasure are, certainly where many addictions come from and all the different things. This is why we jump from one relationship to another, one job to another, one friend to another, one church to another. It's like we're, we're running and running and running. And, and we, we blame others. That's another way we deal with this. We blame others. Happened way back in the creation narrative. It happens today. When, when I'm feeling a grudge or guilt or grief, I just pounce down the throat of other people to give myself some relief. Don't you do this at times? And it's just destructive. We have to positively deal with this relation, relational baggage. But easier said than done, right? So I just thought I would I'd just give you some of the principles God gives us is this introduction to relationship stuff to help you start weaving through this and you can apply it with greater specificity to your life. If we're going to positively deal with relational baggage, then we have to realize that it involves choosing to forgive our grudges. That's what it involves uh, on the grudge side. We have to choose to forgive our grudges. In fact, in that passage where it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, you know, don't give the devil that foothold. Look what he continues to say in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, all brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, all this explosive junk that comes from these three forms of baggage. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And there you go. We have to choose to forgive our grudges. Why is it important? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. It's important because grudges don't solve problems. Grudges just make more problems than the problems we already have bigger. Have you noticed this? It does with me. I take, a, I take the resentment and anger and bitterness from one relational thing and carry that as baggage into all my other relationships and all I'm doing is taking that thing that was isolated to the one thing but because I'm not releasing it and choosing to forgive it, I'm creating destruction in the path of all of my relationships at work, at home, in friendships. Do you recognize this at all in the mirror of your life? We've got to choose to forgive our grudges. Why is it important? Because grudges, and I hope you'll get this one because it's just so important to understand. Grudges put the people who have hurt us in control of our lives. I mean, they're not the people you should let control your life. And that's exactly what it does. You're, you're letting the very people who think least of you, who have helped you least, who have been a big part of the devastation you've experienced in life, you're saying, here, since you've been so good with me so far, take control of everything. It doesn't even make sense. It's foolish. And the only thing we can do is, is release them by forgiving them. How, how, how is the relevant question? How do we forgive our grudges? How do we do it? And I'm going to tell you, I, it really is simple when it comes right down to it. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. It comes right down to one word, as a matter of fact. I've already said it in the statement, but I'm going to say it so that you can hear it again. Here's how you forgive your grudges. Choice. You choose to forgive your grudges. That's what you do. To which a lot of people say, and I get it, I can't. 
you're probably sitting there, and I'm a human being too. I, I respond in the same way. I can't, I can't. I, there's no way I can forgive that person. There's no way I can forgive that. I can't. But I just need you to... I, someone needs to say it out loud, so I'm going to do it, all right? It's not true that you can't. It's just not true. You can. The problem isn't that you can't. The problem is that you won't. It's just the truth. What we do is we, 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 we let our grudges and the pain and the anger become our best friend, our source of comfort and relief. But it's not a good friend and it's not comfort and relief. It is destructive. And what we have to do is we have to instead make the choice to release it. To which many will say, I, I just, I, I can't forgive them until they say sorry. And we're actually worse than that. We make up all these rules. We can't forgive them until they say, sorry's not good enough. What do they have to say? I'm sorry. We need to hear it. And then they have to say it with the right tone. <laughs> and there have to be tears flowing out. And they have to make up for everything we've lost in life. Oh, I'm sorry. And you know... Here's the fact. If you're waiting for someone to say I'm sorry before you forgive them, you have proven that they're in control of you. Why would you give your health and your life into the hands of someone who's already proven unworthy? Why would you wait for them to do the right thing when they've already done the wrong thing? You need to do the right thing. Say, I forgive them. I mean, you've got to release that. In fact, here, here's, no one said ever, God certainly never said ever, that you have to wait until they say they're sorry. So I, I'm going to put it into four words, and I, I'm not going to speak in terms of an academic because I'd have to be one to speak in those terms. So I'm going to, I'm going to speak in my own terms, all right? Four words, here it is. Stop carrying their junk, or you'll be sorry. Let it go. And, and remember, forgiving them doesn't mean that you're accepting their behavior. It doesn't mean that you're affirming what they've done. Forgiving them doesn't mean that you have to become their best friend. But it does mean that you're releasing them of their debt to you. You're no longer going to allow them and their failure to control you and to own you. You're letting go of your anger. And what's it take? It takes choice. That's what you should do with that crap. Say goodbye. You're throwing the baggage, not the person. I thought I should throw that in. <laughs> Positively dealing with our baggage involves choosing to move past our grief. Choosing to move past our grief. And again, I'm talking about bigger things in our lives that have caused us sorrow and pain because we've lost them. People, dreams, stages of life, seasons of life. We have to positively deal with it, move past it. 
And, and I, I need to say this. It takes time. It's not easy, but it's absolutely essential. I don't want you to think that you can come to a talk, I can say something, and boom, you can be by grief. I mean, that's, that's not it at all, but you can move past it. Why is it important? It's important to move past your grief because when you don't properly deal with your grief, it literally makes you a prisoner of your past. That's what grief does. It makes you a prisoner of your past. So, um, in May, I turned 60, right? That's when my grandpa died, my dad died at 68, my dad got pissed off at life when he turned 50, so I'm ripe for some piss off right now, you know, I mean, really. <laughs> And what could happen, what could happen is that I could, I could get to the stage and I could have so much grief about, I'm this active, competitive guy, I like to compete, and there's less of a hill to climb now in my life than there was in the past, and it's like I could get so grieved, I could become a prisoner of what I've lost instead of seizing the, you know, two, three decades I have left, Lord willing, to, to go forward, and this is what many of us do, relationally. And... It's absolutely essential that we deal with this thing. It keeps us, grief keeps us from living and loving in the present. And so I, what, what I want to do is I want to give you an example of how we move past. How we move past our grief. And David's a great example. In 2 Samuel 12, 16, he, he's been told that his child is, you know, on the verge of death. This baby of his. And... And I mean, that's an agonizing thought, and it represents anything we would lose in life, of course, but in verse 16, David pleaded with God for the child. I mean, he just pleaded. He fasted, he gave up eating, and he went into his house and spent every night just lying on the ground begging God to save his child. I'm going to tell you as a dad, I can understand this. And on the seventh day, the child died. As a dad, I can't understand that. That's something I've never gone through, and I don't want to pretend I understand it. But any grief we have can certainly be represented by the grief that he was exposed to. But David wasn't destroyed by his grief. David moved past his grief, as terrible as this was. And how did he do it? He moved past his grief by accepting what cannot be changed. He, he accepted what he couldn't change. And he even says it because he had people in his household that were afraid to tell him that the baby had died because if he was so messed up while the baby was still living, what would happen when he found out the baby had died? They thought it would just destroy him. And so they asked him the question, look at 2 Samuel 12, 22 and 23. They said, why are you not destroyed by this? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that the child is dead, why should I keep fasting? Can I bring him back again? I, I have to accept what can't be changed. Then he says, I still have hope. I'll be able to go to him one day and be with him one day, but he'll never return to me. And this is true of every form of grief we have. We have to accept what cannot be changed or we're going to be prisoners of the past. We're going to keep carrying this baggage. How can we accept what we cannot change? I mean, that's easier said than done. What we have to do is we have to do the hard work of reframing the picture. And what happens is we frame the picture around the circumstance of our grief. Loss of my dad, loss of my job, loss of my dream. And we focus on it, obsess on it. We get obsessed there. And what we need to do is reframe the picture on that which can help us move forward. And that's what David did. Look at it. He moved past his grief. He accepted what couldn't be changed by focusing on God, not the circumstances. 
And so he, he started focusing on God, not the circumstances. He didn't make God and the circumstances synonymous. And this is what many of us do. Many of us can't focus on God because we blame God. God did this, God did God's the reason I lost the ring. God's the reason I lost the job. God's the reason I lost that relationship. God did this, God did that. God did this, God did that. No, he didn't. And what we have to do is realize God is the one that we can turn to for hope and goodness. He's the one that, that though all things aren't good, can take all things and turn them into good. And that's what David did. Look at 2 Samuel 12, 20. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed. He put on lotions and changed his clothes. He, his child had just died and he, he took care of personal hygiene. And then he went, first thing he did, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. What did he do? He focused on God instead of a circumstance. This changes us when we do it. Too many of us sing the songs of God, but we don't focus on God instead of our circumstances. We have to move past the grief. And then, you know what he did? He, he was able to move past his grief by, by living for the present tense. In fact, let's say it this way. By living for what is instead of living for what was or could have been. And grief keeps us locked here. We keep trying to live for what was. It is no longer. We keep trying to live for what could have been and we're living this dark and destructive life. What we need to do is we need to start living for what is, what can still be done. Second Samuel 12, 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and lay with her and she gave birth to a son and they named this new son Solomon and the Lord loved him. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea of this verse. This isn't saying that, oh, the new baby replaced the grief of the lost baby. That's ridiculous. That's not at all what it's saying. But he says, he was going to focus on what is. I still have a marriage. I still now have a child. And instead of being a destructive husband and father in this family now because of what I once had, I'm going to be the best I can in this circumstance and we can do the same thing in the marketplace and our friendships and everything in life. We have to, we have to literally move past our grief and, and it's essential. And since it's more of a process, you know, it's like, you know, I'm like this all the time on that thing and then all, you know, I try to get it back here. Then if I'm going to positively deal with my baggage so that I can have relationships today, I need to understand that it involves choosing to receive forgiveness for my guilt. For our guilt, we have to do it. We have to choose to receive now forgiveness for our guilt because this thing is the source that puts fuel in grudges and in grief. Do you realize the reason we turn with resentment and anger and bitterness outward towards others is because it's the release of the resentment and anger and bitterness we have inside turned towards ourselves, And it's so much easier for me to rip you a new one than to rip myself a new one. It's just, it's just true. Why is it important to receive forgiveness for our guilt? Well, because if we don't receive forgiveness for our guilt, we'll never be able to genuinely receive love or offer love or experience happiness because we'll never be able to open our true self to anyone else. We'll keep living a lie. We'll keep living in isolation, even in the company of other people. 
Why is it important? Because if we don't receive forgiveness, we'll never be able to give forgiveness. And, and if we can't for, give forgiveness, we'll never be able to put down the baggage of our, of our grudges. We'll always be drinking the poison of destruction in our lives. That's what Colossians 3.13 says. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's such an important phrase. You'll be able to make the choice to forgive when you have made the choice to receive forgiveness. Many of us can't forgive others because we've not yet acknowledged our own guilt and need for forgiveness. It's so destructive. We'd rather say there's no God than deal with our guilt. It's a mess. How, how do we receive forgiveness? Well, we need to turn to Jesus. Because you see, that's what his cross was all about. It was about sin being judged and condemned and dealt with. He who had never sinned on that cross became sin for us. The wages of our sin is death. He died in our place so that he could give us the gift of life and we have to turn to him. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's what we need to do. We, we need to realize that Jesus died on that cross and rose again so that we wouldn't have to carry the baggage of our guilt which leads to all of our grudges and all of our grief and the destructive nature of our relationships. And what we need to do is just confess. That means acknowledge, bring to the surface the reality of our guilt and all this internal junk that we have going on. And here's what we do. We need to then lay it at Jesus' feet. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Filled with all those anxious thoughts And your doubt 
bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment and as we get ready to pray I, I believe I know that all of us have baggage we've been carrying and I just want to encourage you right now to lay it down I mean give it to Jesus let it go so I encourage you in the quietness of your heart to take the words of my prayer right now and just make them yours and let it go at whatever stage of your spiritual journey you're at. Just in your heart, just say, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm giving you my baggage right now. I'm giving you my guilt, my sin. I believe that 
You died on the cross to forgive it. So I confess it. I release it to you. I, by faith, trust you through your resurrection for forgiveness and new life. I give you my grief, the losses, and I let you and your hope fill the loss and despair. And I give you my, my grudges and my anger, and I, I choose to release them. And I do it by faith in the only one who makes it possible, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before we move on and finish this worship song, I just really want to encourage you, if you prayed with me, would you please let us know? We want to give you information about next steps that you can take in your journey with God, and we want to give you a Bible. But we have to know you prayed with me, so just take out the program you were given if you're in one of our live campus settings and rip out the Connect card and fill it out. There are two things you can check. Some of you have been believers a long time, but you haven't been walking. You've been carrying a lot of baggage. You just prayed with me to renew your faith. Would you let us know that you did that? And, and a lot of you have never experienced Jesus forgiving you of your guilt, and you just prayed with me. You prayed for the first time. Check that off. There are boxes at every exit. Just throw this in there. We'll send you that information. If you're watching online, we'll do the same thing for you. Just hit the what next button, okay? But here's what I want you to remember as we once again get ready to sing Lay It Down. I want you to remember that this isn't a one-time laying it down thing. It's a keep on laying it down kind of thing. And look what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself of taking hold of this whole thing. It's not like I'm living this thing out perfectly, but here's what I do. He says, I keep, I keep struggling to forget what's behind me, I, to let that go, and I keep... I keep straining ahead towards what's forward. I keep pressing so that I might finally experience what call, God's called me from heaven to do, you know, to live that life of goodness. And so here's the application. If you want to enjoy and experience healthy relationships, then you need to keep fighting for them. You need to keep fighting for them, fighting to let go of the grudges and the grief and the guilt to receive forgiveness for, and then don't let the sun go down on your wrath, but instead get a victory over the evil one in your life, and that's the great foundation for relationships, and remember all week long how you do it. You lay it down. I'm thrilled you were here. I hope you'll be back next week. I hope you'll invite others, but more than anything, I hope that all week long you lay it down. Thanks, everybody.